Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, um, if you go ahead and turn your Bibles to chapter uh, Genesis chapter 38, this is where we're off at this morning. And uh, we're going to actually try to look at both, chapters 38 and chapter 39. And uh, chapter uh, 38 uh, deals with basically what's wrong. Uh, there's not a lot of good stuff in chapter 38, but we're going to look at what's wrong. And then in chapter 39, we're going to look at what's right. So we're going to be looking at the life of an uh, uh, episode in the life of Judah, um, one of Jacob's sons, and then in Genesis chapter 39, the life of Joseph uh, and what happens with him where we left off in chapter 37. It's kind of interesting. It's like it's almost like a, uh, you know, uh, it's like a, you know, sometimes when they have plays, they, they're, they're showing one scene, and all of a sudden they switch to something totally somewhere else, and it's basically, you know, it's like you go, well, why is that there? Well, I think the reason why is to show us what's wrong uh, and then to show us what's right. And so we'll look at that uh, this morning. So uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time here. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon the teaching of your word and that, Lord, you might uh, speak to us through your word. And so we thank you and love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Genesis chapter 38, beginning with verse 1. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, it says it came to pass... um, that could mean a whole lot of different things, but uh, it's basically, uh, it doesn't describe any exact precise period, but it's basically a, a time frame. So it's somewhere around the time when Joseph is in Egypt that this stuff is occurring. It may have even occurred earlier than that. And so what happened there in, uh, in this, during this time, it says Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite named Hira. We'll find out, by the way, in verse 20, that they become friends. So the very first thing we want to look at is, what's wrong here? What's wrong here? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong here. First of all, is Judah's choice of friends. Remember, he's choosing to be out of fellowship with his Hebrew uh, family. And now they were a dysfunctional family, right? I mean, they had, they had their problems, but he was still, they were still, you know, serving God. They were still, uh, you know, God's chosen people as God is going to reveal that to the, to the nation of Israel. And so he's choosing to be out of fellowship with them. And instead, he's choosing friendship with the Canaanite. And this Canaanite, you know, they, they don't know anything of the God of, of Israel. And so, um, you know, what's he doing? Well, what's wrong? Well, it's his choice of friends. It says in Proverbs 13, verse 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And then it says in uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. My mom used to quote that to me all the time when I was a kid. I would just start hanging around the wrong crowd and she'd say that, you know. Evil company corrupts good habits. And and, uh, it's true, though. You know, one of the things I think about with these children, you know, they're starting school and some of them maybe already have you know, they've been there a couple of years. They probably already have some friends. Uh, you know, I think about Thor. You know, he's just entering into kindergarten. You go, man, you know, he's been, we've, we've taken care of him when, when Martha's working. And so, you know, we've had been, been able to kind of form him and, you know, just 
teach him about the love of Christ and be an example to him. And he's been safe in our home. And, and it's like now he's going out into the world, you know, and it's like, oh. And so, you know, but it, it is a concern, right? The friends that our children choose, it can be an issue. It, it, even for us as believers, as adults, who are we celebrating or who are we fellowshipping with? Did you know that even an ungodly family can hinder your relationship with the Lord if they get in the way of your relationship with the Lord? Jesus said this in Matthew ten thirty seven: He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let's continue on here, verse 2. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. So now, what's wrong here? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong here. It's Judah's choice of a spouse. You'll recall Abraham did not want Isaac to marry a Canaanite. In fact, he told his servant, he said, go to my, the land of my parents, you know, the land of my family, and bring a wife there from there because I don't want my wife or my son to marry uh, among the Canaanites. Isaac himself, he did not want Jacob marrying a Canaanite, and so he sent him back to Padan Aram. He went back uh, uh, to, to his uncle Laban there. Um, and so you see this in the family. Why didn't they want them to marry Canaanite women? Well, the Canaanites were idolaters. And it would be a temptation for them to worship false gods instead of the one true God of Israel. And you know, God later on is going to tell the children of Israel over and over and over again, don't intermarry with the nations around you. But you know what's going to happen? King Solomon, years later, He's going to end up marrying many, many foreign women. And it says here in 1 Kings 11, it says, For King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, excuse me, Sidonians and Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, excuse me, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. That was in the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament, Paul uh, teaches us, uh, you know, in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's, you know, as a pastor sometimes I see that with young people. And maybe you as parents have seen it with your own children. You know, they get, they get involved romantically with unbelievers. And eventually sometimes they get married. And I tell you, it's a train wreck waiting to happen. It's a train wreck waiting to happen. And so it's such, it's such a warning for us as believers. Well, continuing on here, verse 3, it says, So she conceived, we're talking about Tamar, 
oh, excuse me, Shua, uh, Shua, she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chizab when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now, we don't know much about Tamar except for what occurs later on, but she is most likely or more than likely a Canaanite as well. Verse 7, But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. You know, that seems kind of weird, right? It seems like it's foreign to our culture what is taking place there, but it was not in the days of the patriarchs. This custom was known as the custom of Levirate, or Levirate marriage. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's, it's Latin. The word Levir is Latin for the word, uh, for the name brother-in-law. And so it was a custom in those days, in that culture. It was important for carrying on the name of the dead husband so that he'd have an heir. And uh, then also the son, in that culture, you know, when a, when a woman was widowed, I mean, she was pretty much destitute. And so it was also responsible, or it was important because the son, when he was grown, he would be responsible to care for his widowed mother uh, so she wouldn't be left destitute. So in that culture, it, it, it just was an accepted thing. It was an expected thing. In fact, later on, the Lord's going to codify it in the law of Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy. And it'll explain why, and the reason why he, he wants that. If, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a husband of a wife dies, then his brother is to raise an heir to, uh, to, in the name of his brother. Why? So that the tribal land would stay within the tribe. The land that was inherited, instead of going to different tribes, it would stay within each tribe. And also that the name of the dead brother would be kept from being blotted out from Israel. So this was important enough that God would actually command it in the Old Testament. And so verse 9, it says, But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass when he, was, when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Now what he did, it was displeasing to the Lord. You know, she married, or excuse me, he married Tamar as was required. And he had sexual relations with her, but he did it in a way so that she would not conceive a son, a child. Young's literal translation seems to indicate that he repeatedly had sex with her, but never for the purpose of conception, only for self-gratification. So what's wrong here? What's wrong here? Well, he didn't want to give an heir to his brother. He only wanted to gratify himself sexually. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And I can tell you, Onan wasn't thinking about Tamar, wasn't thinking about tribes or families or what was important. He was thinking about himself. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, and he's talking about agape love. You know, agape love is the love that, that it, it's selfless love. 
It's a love where you love someone whether or not they love you back. It's the, it's the highest form of love. And agape love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.5, doesn't seek its own. Paul will later on write here in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Going back to chapter 38, verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So the next in line would have been Shelah. But two of his sons had already been killed by the Lord for their wickedness. And so Judah's telling Tamar, Hey, just go and wait at your father's house. When Shelah's old enough, we'll... we'll you know, will consummate that live right marriage. But he was afraid that Sheila was going to die as well. And so we'll find out later. He never intended to follow through with it. Verse 12. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Dulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not, and he, and was not given to him as a wife. She was not given to him as a wife. So Judah's wife's died. Um, Shelah now, the son, the last son, he's fully grown. And Tamar is starting, the, the light bulb's going off. It's like she's starting to realize, hey, hey Judah's not going to follow through with this anymore. And so she comes up with a plan. She takes matters into her own hands. She, so she comes up with this plan to disguise herself as a harlot and sit on the way to Timnah, where she knows that Judah and his friend Hira are shearing sheep. Now you've got to remember something. You know, it'd be easy, like, why would she do something as wicked as that? But you've got to understand something. She's a Canaanite, more than likely. And she doesn't know any better. And look at Judah. I mean, Judah's already been doing some stuff. We're gonna, he's, he hasn't been a godly person. And, and has he even taken the time to teach his wife about the God of Israel? We don't, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Besides, there must have been something in Judah's character or his past actions that would even make her think that this plan is going to work. You know, I, I was just having such a hard time wrapping my mind around it, and then I found this picture of, a, of women today wearing these, these burkas. You know, it's like, you don't know who's underneath that, right? Verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, What pledge shall I give you? So she said, Your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. (coughs) 
So here Judah, he propositions this harlot unbeknownst to him. It's his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And she wants a pledge for a future payment. And so they make this agreement, this bargain, that it'll be a young kid of the goats, a young goat. But she says, give me something as a pledge. And so they agree on, she, he says, well, what do you want? And she says, a signet, your signet and cord and your staff. Now, a signet, it was either worn on the, on the finger or it was hung around the neck. And basically, it, you'd use it to impress seals, wax seals and stuff. And it, it was a sign of property. It was uh, the means of security. It was, it was an identifying thing for, for Judah. And the staff, the staff typically had a, had a unique carving on it that, that identified that staff as belonging to a certain person. And so what's wrong in this picture? Well, man, why is Judah seeking sex with a harlot in the first place? Why is he even doing that? Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know, think about it. Judah's got a friend. He's, he's, he's ch- chosen some wrong friends. His friend is Hira the Adulamite, who's a Canaanite, by the way. And you can imagine, you can bet, in fact, you can lay money on the fact that Hira is not saying, hey, Judah, I, I think you're sinning if you do that. You shouldn't. No, no. He's not going to tell him because he could care less, right? He's a Canaanite. He's not a worshiper of God. And so Judah, what's he doing committing sexual immorality? Verse 19 So she arose and went away and lay aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There there was no harlot here in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. And it came to pass, about three months after, that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Bring her out, and let her be burned. (laughs) What is wrong here? I'll tell you what's wrong here. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Paul writes in Romans 2 verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Listen, Paul's saying, hey, God is going to judge the sin of immorality, of sexual immorality. But we need to be careful how we judge one another. Why? Because we do the same things. We're so blind to our own sins. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 1, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we see hypocrisy here. 
Verse 25, when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. I mean, you can just picture, you know, that they're rushing to take Tamar out and to, to stone her and to burn her with fire, you know. And, and, and as she's going out, she grabs these things. She says, oh, by the way, the person who did this, this, this belongs to them. And, and Judah sees it, and, and man, he's caught. He's caught, you know, red-handed. And finally, Judah acknowledges his sin and his hypocrisy. What was the root issue here? The root issue was Judah should have been faithful to keeping the Levite marriage. He should have been faithful to following through and allowing Sheila to perform that, uh, that responsible thing. He's the one who drove Tamar to do this sinful act of depression. Or, excuse me, desperation, not depression. He's the one that drove her to do that. James writes in four, chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Judah should have followed through and he didn't. It was sin. And he's the one that drove Tamar to do this thing. Tamar didn't know any better. She was a Canaanite. Verse 27. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zira. You, you wonder, why is this story in here? Well, the amazing thing is God chose one of those twins, Perez, to, and, and this is a very ungodly situation. It's a, it's, a, it's a skeleton in a family closet, right? It's a thing you, you get together families, you know, with family, you don't talk about these things, right? You just, you, it happened, but you don't talk about it, right? This ungodly situation, God chose Perez, who was born of that, to be the ancestor of the Messiah. What an amazing thing. I mean, if you were God and you were going to have your son born in the world, and you were going to announce, I mean, wouldn't you just make him like, like be, you know, Donald Trump's son or something? I mean, you know, you'd, you'd have it just so, everything so perfect, and just everything, everything fall into place so good, and yet God uses situations like this. In fact, we're going to continue to see skeletons in Jesus's ancestral closet as the story of redemption follows through scriptures. Why would God choose such a sinful, dysfunctional family tree to be the lineage of the Messiah? It's simply to reveal the unfathomable grace of God to us. And it gives us hope, right? Because, man, I tell you, we all come from our family, all of our families. We, maybe you grew up in a good home, but, you know, every family, they've got some kind of a dysfunction or something's going on, right? And so we see the grace of God here that God can even take an ugly situation like this and God can turn it around for his glory and for his purposes. Even when we blow it, God can turn things around for his glory. 
Well, we've seen what's wrong here in chapter 38. And now we're going to look at what's right in chapter 39. So we get to verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Remember his brothers had thrown him in a pit and sold him into slavery because they hated Joseph. And so Joseph, at some point, it's like meanwhile, sometime either before or during the time frame described in chapter 38, Joseph is finally brought to, to Egypt and Potiphar, a guy by the name of Potiphar, purchases him to be his slave. And we're told here that Potiphar is a captain of the guard. It can be translated, he was the chief of the executioners. He could have been a captain of the king's bodyguard. It'd be like the secret service. And, you know, they're ready to kill anybody that gets in the way of, of the king or the pharaoh. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from time to time uh, so it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread with which he ate. I mean, that's how much he trusted Joseph. That he, he didn't worry about anything. He just committed everything into Joseph's hand. Listen, back in verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was trustworthy and faithful. We saw that in chapter 37. He was trustworthy and faithful in the service of his father Israel back in Hebron, right? He was in, he was, you know, in familiar surroundings. He was, you know, in the family, you know, everything is good around him. He was trustworthy and faithful there. He was trustworthy and faithful when he was sent to Dothan to go find his brothers. And he's trustworthy and faithful as a slave in the service of Potiphar's house. So we have to ask the question, what's right here? What's right here? What do we see that's good here? Well, this is what's right here. Circumstance does not alter his character. Circumstance does not alter his character. Let me, let's, let's take a look at our own characters here. Let's do a quick self-evaluation. Let me ask you this. Does your behavior change based on who you are around? You know, if you're around Christians, do you act a certain way? When you're around coworkers or others, do you act a different way? Do you act a certain way when you know people are watching you? And do you act totally different when you know you're all by yourself? There's nobody to hold you accountable. <coughs> also, does your attitude and actions vary depending on circumstances? You know, if things are going good, do you do well? And if things are going bad, if your circumstances are, are not good, do you do poorly? I tell you, I've got to be honest with you. That was convicting me this morning. 
I was preparing, uh, I had already prepared the message, but I had this on this little thumb drive, and, and I was thinking, you know what, I better not just rely on this thumb drive for my message, I better put it on the cloud, get it up in the cloud, if you guys know what I'm talking about, you know, get up there and store it somewhere, so that if this thumb drive, you know, somehow crashes or burns up or gets crushed between here and church, you know, then I, the message is gone. So I get, so I'm storing it, and uh, I clicked a couple things. I, I get click happy, and I clicked a little too many times, and all of a sudden this thing's locked, and this little light on this thing is just going to town, and it's not changing. I can't I go in the task manager. I can't stop it. It's just, it's like, ah. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, it wasn't a very good circumstance this morning, and I didn't do very good. I was, I was like, I was like, ah. Uh, and Teresa's like, man, you need to handle that better, you know. And uh, I didn't want to hear that, but she was right. But listen, if your circumstances are good, do you do well? And if your circumstances are not good, do you do poorly? Because you look at Joseph. I mean, he had the worst of possible circumstances, and yet he was faithful and trustworthy. He was consistent wherever he was. Whoever was around him, it didn't matter. Paul wrote to the Colossians. He says, For though I am absent in the absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul would visit churches and 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 you know he started churches and then he would leave and then he would come back and and he knew while he was gone that the church, man, they were being faithful. Even though he wasn't there, you know, the apostles here, you know, to watch over them, they were being faithful. That's character. That's character. And circumstance did not alter Joseph's character. Second half of verse six. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass <clears throat> and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Think about Joseph for a few moments. You know, the written law hadn't been revealed yet, right? That's going to come on later in the time of Moses. So Joseph's understanding of God's will and God's laws was limited. It was basically what his father told him, you know, what, what had been impressed on him from his parents and maybe his grandparents and stuff. His understanding of God's law was limited. Not only that, but Joseph, he didn't have godly examples in his life. He was the second to the youngest of a bunch of brothers and a few sisters. And his brothers were poor examples of godliness to him. His father, at least when Joseph was young, was a poor example to him. So he didn't have a, a good understanding of God's laws that was limited. He didn't have godly examples in his life. When they were younger, Joseph spent his formative years in close proximity to the godless people when they lived next to Shechem. So he wasn't in a he wasn't in a very good culture, you know. He was he was, he was around godlessness, uh, no, and that was in the formative years when he was a youngster. 
And now Joseph's 17 years old. Man, he's a young man, and he's got all those hormones that young men possess, right? I mean, he's just there, you know? Not only that, but he's away from any accountability. I mean, he's been, you know, he was probably protected, so to speak, and in his father's, you know, in, in, in Hebron there, and, and, and now he's in Egypt. And there's godlessness all around and sexual immorality all around in Egypt in that day and in that age. And there's nobody there to hold him accountable. Not only that, but Potiphar's wife, you know, maybe she could use her influence. If, if he gave in to her, you know, her demands, maybe she'd use her influence to maybe advance Joseph just to keep him around, you know. So, I mean, all these things are probably, you know, I mean, these are all factors for Joseph. When we look at Joseph's response to temptation, listen, it eliminates any excuses we might have for succumbing to our own temptations. We know the word of God. You know, we've had godly examples around here. You know, we sometimes say, well, you know, I grew up in a rough home. Well, yeah, but look at Joseph. He had the worst of examples. There was, there was, he had everything going against him. And unlike his brother Judah, he didn't commit sexual immorality. What's right here? What's right here is Joseph's attitude regarding sin. There's something important in his response. Jesus was approached by some people in, uh, in uh, Israel or in Jerusalem at the time, and they were asking him, Lord, Lord, Master, what's the greatest commandments? And Jesus said in Luke 10, 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Those were the greatest commandments, loving God first and then loving your neighbor. Listen, sleeping with Potiphar's wife would have been a sin against Potiphar. And that's what Joseph said. Hey, he's kept everything back from you. This would be a sin against him because he loves his neighbor. He loves Potiphar. But more importantly, sleeping with Potiphar's wife would be a sin against God. And that's even more important. Verse 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. What's right here? What's right in this circumstance? Let me ask you a question. When it comes to sexual temptation, is it fight or flight? Is it fight or flight? Listen, she tempted him day by day. This wasn't just a one-time deal. Every time she saw him, she was saying, Joseph, sleep with me. And, you know, this wouldn't have been a temptation if she was ugly. Let's face it, she was probably an attractive woman because he was a powerful man. And usually powerful men, even if they look like, you know, they look like a hound dog. I mean, their wives, usually they're beautiful, right? Because they're powerful. And so she was probably, there was that temptation. And day in and day out, she's, she's saying, sleep with me, sleep with me. And what? He did, it says he didn't heed her. In fact, he stayed away from her. So is it fight or flight? Well, let me say this. When it comes to sexual temptation, flight is better than fight. Flight is always better than fight. Why? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Flee it. Don't even put yourself in a situation where you can be tempted. And if you are in a place of temptation, get away from it. Stay away as far as you can because I guarantee sooner or later, you're not going to be able to fight it. Sooner or later, you're going to give into it. So flight 
is always the case. Flee sexual immorality. Verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Again, he's fleeing again. And so it was, verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and it happened when he lifted when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside so she kept his garment with her until his master came home then she spoke to him with words like these saying the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me so it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did this to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Listen, Potiphar's wife, she's not going to take no for an answer. And so she's going to try and try and try. And finally, she catches him at his most vulnerable time. He's doing some work in the house. He's got he's to be there. So he's inside the home and she's alone. She probably made sure that she was alone. And she tries to get him to, to succumb and he flees, but she grabs his robe on the way out. You know, she feels spurned, obviously, and falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. And the husband's just furious. Chief of the executioners, man, he has, her, has Joseph thrown into prison. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Again, the Lord was with Joseph. Listen, it didn't matter if he was back home in Hebron when things were going good, the Lord was with Joseph. When things weren't going so good and he was thrown in a well in Dothan by his brothers, the Lord is with Joseph there too. When Joseph was sold as a slave in Potiphar's house, and the Lord was with him in that time too. When he's wrongfully accused here and locked him up in a prison, and the Lord's with him. Later on, He'll be living in a palace. The Lord's still with Joseph. The Lord was with him. Like what it says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe you're going through a difficult time right now. Maybe you're going through a good time. It doesn't matter. The Lord is with you. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, uh, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. What's right here? What's right here is that Joseph occupied 
diligently and faithfully. It didn't matter where he was at. He occupied. Jesus told a parable to the people around him, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 19. It's the parable of the minas. And he says there in verse 13 of Luke 19, he says, So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to, and said to them, Do business till I come. And then he went away. And these servants, they had minas. And what did they do with them? And later on, he's gonna, the servant comes back and says, What did you do with the minas? What did you do while I was gone? You know, what a contrast. You think about it. Joseph, remember he had those dreams that everyone was going to bow down to him. Things were, you know, he was going to be in a place of authority. And, and those were these dreams that were probably stuck in his mind and in his heart. And yet he's looking around at his present situation. It doesn't look like people are bowing down to him right now, right? It doesn't look quite as good as the dream was. What a contrast between his dreams and his present reality. And yet... He occupied. He remained fruitful wherever he was, wherever he was planted. Listen, in the parable of the Minas, in Luke 19, the servants were were rewarded for their faithfulness. Their faithfulness. Were you faithful with what I gave you? The only servant that was rebuked was the one who did nothing with what the master gave him. And I want to encourage you this morning. You know... uh, We've had, you know, because, because Mayo Clinic's here in town, we get, we get Mayo Medical students here and get other people here, but I, sometimes I've seen it with the Mayo Medical students, some of them, not, not all, but sometimes they come here and it's like they're here just for, you know, they're going to finish their schooling and then they're going to move on. And so for them, this is a temporary place. And they'll, they'll, they might come to church, but they're not going to get plugged in because, man, I'm not here for very long and this is not, I'm not going to put down roots here, so why even bother? But then we have other people. We have John and Salia who are you know, here now. I, I, they're not here. I'm not going to mention them. We're talking behind their backs. <laughs> but they're here. And you know what they're doing? I'm sure they're not anticipating staying here. But they're getting plugged in in fellowship. Man, they're serving. They're doing things. You know, John's, John's one of the elders now. He's, he was leading a Bible study until his schooling got in the way. And now he had to stop that. Solly has been teaching kids. She's involved with the, with, the, with the harvest party that's going to be going on. They're getting plugged in. Let me, let me encourage you. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're not in the most dynamic or the most pleasant situation at work. Can you be faithful with where you're at? Can you just, can you just grow and, and, and be fruitful wherever you're planted? Because that's such an important thing. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Man, be fruitful. Because the Lord's given us this time. Time is a gift from the Lord. What do you do with the time that God's given you? Your talents are a gift from the Lord. What are you doing with his talents? They're his talents that he's given to you. What are you doing with them? Because one day, brother and sister, we're all going to be held accountable. He's going to say, what did you do with that time that I gave you? I gave you the X amount of years. Were you faithful? Did you use it? Did you use it for me? You have the worship team kind of come on up here. So we saw different things here. We saw what's not right. We saw Judah giving in to sexual immorality. We see Joseph fleeing sexual immorality. And yet, you know, even though he did, 
he still ends up getting thrown into prison. As the Bible says, even, even when we're, you know, if we choose to do God's will, we're going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen. That's the, the world we live in. But the important thing is to be faithful, to be faithful to the Lord. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, we've seen the examples in chapter 38 of what we shouldn't do. And Lord, we've seen the example in chapter 39 of what we should do. We've seen what's wrong and what's right. Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And Lord, you're our counselor. Your spirit is our counselor, our teacher. I pray, Lord, that as we continue our walk in faith, going day by day, serving you and living for you, that, Lord, as your Holy Spirit teaches us and speaks to us, Lord, that we would choose to do the right thing. Help us, Lord, because it's so, it's hard. Lord, we, we all suffer with different temptations. You know, Lord, if we just keep our eyes on you, Lord, if we just keep our eyes on you, Lord, we can, we can avoid those things. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this lesson that we see this morning. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would help us to choose to do the right things, Lord God. And so I thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.